Welcome back to your boss's favorite podcast, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the Kansas City Symphony's Education Manager. I'm Jason Sieber, the Associate Conductor. And I'm Mike Gordon, Principal Flute of the Kansas City Symphony. So our orchestra consists of 80 musicians, and those musicians are divided up into various sections, the strings, the woodwinds, brass, and the percussion. And then those sections are divided up even further by instrument. Now, some instruments like the violins have a high representation in the orchestra. Our orchestra has 27 on its rosters this on its roster this season. Um, but other instruments have far fewer. For example, there are only five French horns. There are three flutes. And as we learned last week, there are two librarians. But finally, there is the lone brass instrument at the bottom of the staff, all by itself, the tuba, with only one player in most orchestras. So today's guest is one of the symphony's newest members. Joe Lefevre holds the Frank Byrne Principal Tuba Chair, which was named for the symphony's former executive director, who just retired a year ago. Uh, Joe's predecessor, Steve Seward, held the title tuba position for more than three decades before retiring. And now Steve is living his retirement dream. He is a professional Santa, believe it or not. As a matter of fact, we had Santa Steve uh, as part of our holiday concerts last year. We had a lot of fun with him and our audiences. He's he's living the dream of being in Santa. Uh, but that means when it came time for Joe to audition for the newly vacated position uh, back in 2018, nearly 36 years had passed since the Kansas City Symphony had actually held a tuba audition. Wow, 36 years. <laughs> well, I know uh, I speak for all of us when I say that we're super excited to have Joe as a part of the band, and I certainly am. Uh, personally, he brings a beautiful, rich sound along with a truly infectious positivity to the group, and we're so lucky to have him here in Kansas City and on the podcast today. So welcome to the show, Joe Lefevre. Thanks, guys. Super excited Joe, to be here. great to see you. <laughs> yeah, good to see you guys, too. So it seems that we have two people on the show today who have devoted the majority of their lives to their particular instruments. Obviously, the flute and the tuba are on opposite ends of the wind playing spectrum. But so I thought it would be fun to start out today if Mike and Joe would have a quick debate about which instrument is best, the flute or mm. the tuba. But there's a twist. So mm. each of you is going to argue that the other person's instrument is superior. So, Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Nice. I like that. So, arguing wow. that the flute is best will be Joe Lefevre, principal tuba. Ooh, this should be and, interesting. And arguing that the tuba is best will be Michael Gordon, principal flute. So, you each have 30 seconds to make your argument. We're going to start with Joe. <laughs> Joe, why is the flute the best instrument ever? Start All right. Now. You know, Mike, I, I actually had to learn flute in college as, as part of my music education courses. And the best part about the flute I learned is the size. It's so small. You can put it in your backpack. <laughs> you can travel everywhere. You don't work up a sweat carrying it around. It's awesome. In fact, I think a piccolo weighs less than my mouthpiece. So that's awesome. <laughs> wow. Super sure cool. Uh, the other thing is you get all the melodies. I'm pretty jealous of that. Uh, super good music to play. Uh, you get a lot of Bach, which is nice. Uh, I don't get any of that. Uh, and, you know, Beethoven, Haydn, like, you know, all the all the, the good classic classical composers and, and, you know, none of that for the tuba. Um, so I think those are my two top reasons. But definitely the size of the flute is is uh, what makes it superior. Ooh, well played. An excellent yeah. timing there. Good job. Good answer. Man, 
that's going to be hard to beat. All right, I I think I'm ready. Here we go. All right. Um. So I what I think is uh, great about the tuba and makes it truly the greatest instrument of all is that it doesn't even look like a musical instrument. I mean, no one would believe that music can come out of it. It's just amazing. It looks it looks like a part of a steam engine or something. <laughs> So the fact that you can do anything with it just like entertains people immediately every time you pick up the instrument. And oh, yeah. of course, you know, if you get really skilled at it, which doesn't take much more than 11 years for somebody like Joe Lefevre, uh, you know, you can make some really, really beautiful music with it in spite of how silly looking it is. And then, you know, it's so hard to carry around, but you, you don't get to have just one. You've got two of them, right? Yes. So you obviously need a friend to help you carry it so it's like a good social thing helps you carry it around and then and then you know if you're walking around with it and you get caught in a rainstorm but you're also really thirsty you can use it as a cistern and it's it's amazing it's amazing for that it's truly amazing there aren't too many buttons so it's not hard to keep track of the buttons uh, and All right, I think I think our time is up. You said thirty seconds, oh, Mike. That was it. Oh, well, that was I don't like have three a clock. I just I got really excited about the tuba. Nice, those, I like it. Man, those are a lot of good reasons why the tuba is definitely the superior instrument. There, Mike. Well played. Well played. Actually, both of you, really good points, gentlemen. And thank you for being such good sports about that. Um, but uh, Joe, as Mike mentioned, you have only been playing the tuba for, I think, what, 11, 12, maybe 13 years? Yeah, about 12, 13 years around there. That's crazy because, I mean, you are without a doubt one of the best tuba players that I have ever heard in my life. So that's just mind-blowing to me that you've only been playing for that short of amount of Thank time. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> So how did you how did you go about picking the tuba? Because as you mentioned, the flute is a lot smaller and lighter. It gets a lot more melody. You could have picked an instrument like that or the violin. Why the tuba? Yeah. So uh, in uh, fifth grade, uh, we had our middle school band directors come around um, to the the elementary schools, and we would try different instruments, and and uh, you know they would kind of introduce us to each int- instrument and ask us what we wanted to play. And in fifth grade, I was pretty short and I was really, really skinny. Um, so I thought it would be the funniest thing ever if I played the biggest instrument. Uh, so <laughs> I I told the band director, I was like, I want to play the tuba. And he gave me a tuba mouthpiece. And you know, band directors are always looking for tuba players because you know everyone wants to play the trumpet or the saxophone. And, and right. um, so I, I buzzed on the mouthpiece and he was like, great, all right, you're, you're playing tuba. And he you know, wrote it down and <laughs> I went home and I told my mom and uh, she looked at me and she started laughing and then she saw that I was serious and she was like, oh, okay, I guess we're going we're gonna to do this. Tuba it is. So uh, kind of a funny story, but uh, I think I've grown into the instrument now. Um, I was going to say, uh, I mean, not everybody can see you like we can. So Joe is not a, no longer a short person. He's, he's a tall gentleman. Joe, I was also really skinny and really short in fifth grade. Um, I should have maybe picked the tuba. I don't know. I picked the violin in, in fourth grade instead. Maybe I should have picked the tuba. Or we could have uh, we could have been buddies. Yeah, How I much could've... did you weigh in fifth grade? Like oh, man. 40 pounds? 20 pounds? Huh? Yeah, something like that. I mean, no, I maybe guys. I was lighter than the tuba, right? You know? No. <laughs> my six-year-old weighs 40 pounds, okay? Let's just like, be a little more accurate than that. Okay, I was like 45 or 50 soaking wet. Uh, all you skinny people, now you're just taller. <laughs> I'm still short, and I was never skinny. <laughs> 
So, Joe, what is the audition scene like for an instrument that only has one position in the orchestra? Yeah, it's definitely a different scenario compared to a lot of other instruments. Um, you know, as as you said at the beginning of the the podcast, Steve, my predecessor, was here for thirty six years. Uh, so once you kind of win a tuba job, you're pretty much there till you retire. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of tuba players who've been playing in, in their orchestra for 30, 40 years now. Um, so they don't come around too often. Uh, you know, recently there's kind of been a, an influx of tuba auditions, which is kind of crazy. Everyone's kind of, you know, return or retiring at the same time. But, uh, I mean, tons of people show up. I think uh, Justin told me, there were a hundred people that applied to the Kansas City audition. I think eighty people showed up to take it. Um, yep. So lots of lots of people for one job. I, and I, I'm curious about who shows up. I'm sure because these jobs are so highly coveted and and you know they don't come around very often. Do you see the same group of auditioners at at these auditions? I mean, you guys probably you know run into each other and oh yeah, hey, I saw you last week and. St. Louis or in LA or whatever you see the same guys and girls yeah. around yeah always yeah it's a you know the the cool thing about the tuba community is that you know because it's it's you know kind of a smaller group of players and everything it's super tight-knit um, so yeah you always see friends at the auditions and and you know other you know people that you've worked with or played with before um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's, like I said, it's a super small, small knit community. So everybody kind of knows each other and, and, uh, or has studied with, you know, a teacher that, you know, mutual teachers or that sort of thing. So I kind of feel that way as a conductor, actually, it's the same exact thing when we show up for conducting auditions, it's rare that you don't know every other person that's there auditioning with you. Cause it's, you know, uh, when you're auditioning for something like an assistant conductor role, that's another position in the orchestra where there's only one, maybe two people. Uh, that are an assistant. So, Joe, you are the only person in your section, but you really have a, a really important role within the entire brass section as the tuba player and the orchestra in general. Just t- tell us a little bit about uh, your view on what the tuba's role is within the brass section, especially the low brass with the trombones, and then the brass in general. Right. So, so yeah, I'm first and last chair in my section. So, you know, <laughs> and, and everything in between. Uh, so, yeah, it's, you know, definitely uh, in terms of within the brass section, my job as the tuba player is to really lay that foundation for everybody else to sit on top of. Um, so it's really important for me to have good pitch. And, and uh, yeah, I, I would say that's probably the most important thing and, and you know, good, good uh, time and rhythm. Uh, but, you know, my goal is to just make, make a nice, you know, thinking of a pyramid, just really making the building blocks down on the bottom solid. So that makes you know, Roger's job on trombone easier and, and it makes Julian's job on trumpet a lot easier. And, and uh, you know, and then, you know, taking that even farther into the rest of the orchestra, it's important for me um, to communicate with the basses a lot. We have a lot of the same lines together. Uh, so oftentimes I'm listening across the orchestra to kind of blend with their sound. And it's kind of a, a balancing game going back and forth between blending with the, the low strings and the brass and being that bridge between those two sections to bring them mm-hmm. together. One of the things that I find really interesting about tuba as well, in terms of what you're talking about being this foundation for the whole orchestra, is it's really important for woodwinds too. Not only that you know we hear your, your sound, your pitch center, um, but 
but it guides, you know, the low parts of the woodwinds, particularly, you know, bassoon and especially contra bassoon in the cases right. of contra bassoon. And, and, you know, when, when those two instruments are, are, you know, unified in a really effective way, it makes everything so much easier and it makes the sound of the orchestra resonate mm. in, in a much clearer way, I think. So it's, um, it's so helpful to, to you know, have a really strong player there who's making a focus sound too. I mean, one of the things that's hard about tuba, probably more so for someone that plays you know two or three or twelve octaves above where they live, <laughs> you get used to hearing things in your own range. So it's actually yeah. sometimes hard for me to hear the center of a pitch on tuba mm-hmm. because it's just so low. It's and you know, Joe does it really well and it's, it's easy to latch onto. I actually totally agree with that. And it's funny cause when we were, I knew we were going to be talking with Joe and I was, you know, doing a little research into tuba repertoire and I had to bring my husband who's a horn player in here and listen to some stuff with me. Cause I'm like, is there a tuba playing or not? Like he's like, yes, of course. Like it's down there. I'm like, I. There are just some places like my ears as a clarinetist don't pick up those frequencies. I'm for real. You upper woodwind players, come on, <laughs> Joe. I hear the tuba all the time from the podium, and uh, I have to say, I love it. I love right. it. It's loud and clear. And I never have trouble hearing you, man. You sound great. Well, you also, <laughs> you have a cheat sheet, though, because you have a score. So you could look down and know, oh, oh he's supposed okay. to be playing. Exactly, Is he playing? Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I don't hear it. Maybe I'm just hearing it in my head. It wouldn't be the first time that the, a conductor was hearing something in their head that wasn't there, right? That's probably very true. So, Joe, you mentioned um, that you have to have a really solid um, pitch center. Um, and I wonder if you were telling uh, a student... Um, it, the the three most important things that every tuba player needs to have in order to play well, like f- three foundational things, what would those be? Yeah, so pitch is definitely one of them. Um, and I guess you can maybe kind of group time and rhythm into one mm-hmm. factor there. Because um, I wanted to, well, I, I did that so I can make another point here too, is, <laughs> is the, the fact that uh, just the overall sound of the instrument too. Um, you know, it's tuba is pretty pretty easy to make a sound on. You know, just in terms of picking it up and playing. Um, but in order to really get that, um, you know, that focused sound that that Mike was talking about, and and really honing in on the pitch, you really have to work on your just tone and your sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say that that's kind of the third uh, pillar of of creating a really nice you know tuba sound is is just really being able to, to hear your sound in your head and, and project it out too. You know, Joe, you said that you could, most people could pick up a tube and make somewhat of a sound right away. I was also a music ed major in undergrad and I remember in brass methods, the tuba, you know, yeah, you were able to make a sound, but more than anything, it takes so much air, so much breath control. And I, I had an experience uh, where I was an assistant for an elementary middle school level band at a summer band camp, and there was no tuba player for this band. So guess who had to play tuba? Nice. I did. What? And so I tried to remember from my methods days how to do it, but we were playing some hard rep, like arrangements of the whole suites, and and I was the only one back there. And I'll never forget because my good friend Jared was conducting on the podium, and it was like day two of camp, and I'm ready to pass out like the whole rehearsal and he looks back at me at one point and I was all red and he says Jason or it was Mr. Sieber because we were kids Mr. Sieber are you okay do we need to call an ambulance or something are you going to make it back there 
I really felt like like I had you know I was so lightheaded and I had no air left at all. Yeah. It takes so much air and breath control to play the tuba well. Yeah, well, I think you know we talked about the differences between flute and tuba at the top of the show. I think this is one of the similarities between flute and tuba is you know both take an incredible amount of air. You know, I, I would say, because I remember when I was trying to play flute was, you know, it was a little bit easier for me, at least just because I had the, you know, the air capacity. It was a different way of blowing into the instrument and everything. But uh, yeah, it definitely takes a lot of air and, and you know, you got to know how to breathe right to play right. So, yeah. So I'm really curious to ask you, Joe, because you have, and everyone should know that Joe, uh, in spite of our, our joking, Joe is an incredible virtuoso at this instrument. We've heard him play solos, you know, where he's playing, you know, lines of music that could be flute music. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. incredible. Lots of fast moving notes, but you know, in the orchestral repertoire, for the most part, there's some exceptions and there's some really incredible, uh, tuba solos, but a lot of times you're not doing that kind of thing. You're playing bass lines, you're playing a lot of notes with holes in them, as we say, you know, whole notes and half notes, relatively <laughs> slow notes. So, um, so when you, you know, when we're, when we're working uh, full time, like we normally are, how do you, um, how do you balance those things, you know, working on your solo rep, playing an orchestra and how do you, how do you work to find, you know, interest in all of it and time and energy for all of it? Uh, Cause it's really incredible. I mean, when we see you at work, the horn's pretty much never off your face. If it's a break, you're practicing somewhere, you're practicing before we start, you're practicing when we're done, mm-hmm. you're playing when we're on stage. It's really incredible. Yeah. Um, well, I I guess, you know, I always start the day out with at least an hour to maybe an hour and a half of um, fundamentals and just, uh, you know, routines of, of warming my face up and, and really honing in on the, the technical side of, of um, the tuba and, and just really working on those exercises. Uh, and, you know, that varies depending on, like right now I'm doing a lot more of that technical work just because we don't have as much stuff coming down the pike in terms of work. Um, but, you know, usually about an hour, hour and a half of that, um, then we'll go to work and, and uh, do rehearsals there. And then the rest of the day, I kind of, you know, it's up to me and what I want to practice. And that includes you know, melodic etudes, kind of flexing that uh, musical muscle instead of the technical muscle that, you know, I was working on earlier in the day. And, and then, uh, you know, depending on what's coming up, um, you know, whether it's a recital or something, I'll be working on solo music. Um, if it's, you know, looking further ahead in the season, we got some big orchestra work. I'll be working on the excerpts from that and really honing in on that. And, and sometimes it's just, finding fun stuff to play. I, I love jazz, so I'll play some jazz transcriptions mm-hmm. every once in a while and you know, just try to find new and, and interesting things to play on the tuba, things that normally aren't played on the tuba and, and, and getting to play them on that instrument is, is fun. So You know how they're always saying that athletes, the best athletes are the first one in the gym uh, before, well before a practice starts and then the last one to leave and they'll stay after a game and work on one fundamental skill or something. Joe is the quintessential example of that as a musician. There are many times where I go to leave my dressing room, you know, an hour after a concert is ended and Joe is always in there practicing. Yeah. He is, it's one of the reasons why he's as exceptional as he is at his craft. He, uh, he's definitely dedicated to being the best possible musician he can be. Thanks, Jason. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I, I definitely, you know, 
I love to put the work in and, and get better. And, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the way the schedule works now is I have to save my chops for the show and, and for rehearsals. So you kind of have to work around this odd schedule. So yeah, I'll put in the late hours after a show just to get my practice time in. So. Well, the production office that I work in when I work a concert like that is right next to Joe's practice yes. room. And I can <laughs> totally 100% vouch for the fact that he is in there all the time when he's not in there on stage too. But I actually, I have a question, you know, so we're talking about a variety of rep. Um, there was a time two years ago where you performed five straight minutes of Silent Night <laughs> as yes. part of a Guinness World record-breaking, largest tuba ensemble attempt hosted by the Kansas City Symphony. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? <laughs> oh, it was awesome. I mean, it's, you know, I well, first of all, I had never seen, oh, man, what was the final number? Like 864 or something Eight, like that? 835 was 835, the, was the okay, number, so, yeah. So, yeah, it, I had never seen 800 tuba players, tuba and euphonium players, in one place before. I mean, you know, you go to these, you know, they have the iTech tuba euphonium conference and things like that, but... But I mean, this was totally different. I mean, it was you know, wow, eight hundred people there, all playing tuba euphonium, and and uh, you know, it's one of those things that we were talking about the community earlier, and you know, you just see so many people there, and and, and you're talking with people, people you've never met, and you're just instantly friends because you know, tuba players are usually pretty chill. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, you know, and and we played, we broke the record, we played Silent Night for five minutes, <laughs> and I gotta say, for eight for eight hundred plus tuba and euphonium players, like. We sounded pretty darn good on that thing. So I was pretty impressed with the way we sounded. It was pretty awesome. Well, it was awesome to do and to be a part of even just from the outside. But it was so it was really special that that you and Roger Oyster, who uh, is our principal trombone, but he he sat down and played euphonium. Um, our executive director at the time, Frank Byrne, um, MC the event, but yeah. also played. It's just it, awesome to see everybody come together and do that. And we are still, as of this broadcast, the record holders for largest tuba ensemble in the world. Yeah, I, I don't know if if anyone else will be able to break it. And if <laughs> I, I have a feeling, if someone else breaks it, we'll break it again. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, okay. I was. I was surprised the uh, the ceiling didn't come down on us that day with all the <laughs> well you know, because low we had reverbs. to rent we had to rent a venue that would host yeah. hold that many people. <laughs> now you say that we would, uh, you know, we would do that and we would go for it again. I don't know. As the person who helped wrangle all of that and coordinated right. all of that, <laughs> I think I think I might beg to differ. That might be my one and only time at a. <laughs> I'll, I'll plan it next time. How about that? If, <laughs> if we do it again, I'll, I'll I'll do I'll be the one that plans it. So. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, Joe, you're not only an important part of Tuba Ensemble every year, but you also, um, as I mentioned, played uh, on our corporate holiday concerts. I think it was, was it last season or two years ago now? I can't even, it was two years ago. It was last season. Two, it doesn't uh, it matter. was this past, this past uh, December, right? Yeah. So I guess last recently, year, yeah. Recently, yeah. Joe Lefevre played <laughs> uh, some solo tuba along with the Kansas City Symphony on some of our holiday concerts. And that was awesome because you played the first one of the Von Williams concerto, but you also played a, a few other arrangements. And one of my favorite things you did was the Grinch on the sousaphone. Uh, yes. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. And all that was awesome, but I think probably the best part was that you found a way to deck your sousaphone in working Christmas lights. <laughs> yes. So please explain to those of us that are not electrical engineers nor tuba, nor tuba extraordinaires, how the heck did you do that? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I definitely 
wanted to go all out with the decorations on the tube because well you know sousaphones are already a comical thing to see so <laughs> why not make it even more comical and you know pull all the stops out and just you know deck the halls so uh just just quickly explain to our our listeners the difference between a tube and a sousaphone in case they don't know what a sousaphone right is. yeah so a sousaphone is is uh the best way to describe it is the tuba that wraps around you and has the big bell on top of your head uh, you see it in marching bands all the time. Mm -hmm. That's where it's most commonly used because it's easy to march with. Uh, so much different than a concert tuba, which uh, sits in my lap when I play, uh, which you'll see me playing at, at Hellsberg. Uh, so yeah, it's a, a very uniquely shaped instrument named after uh, uh, John Philip Sousa, you know, the guy who wrote all the marches uh, the, and the Marine Band uh, conductor and all that. So uh, that's why it's called the sousaphone. Uh, but yeah, it's a very comical instrument, and uh, I decided to take some uh, garland and some uh, Christmas lights that I, I found, managed to find some battery-powered Christmas lights, and slapped a big old bow on it too, and, and uh, yeah, it was really fun to kind of uh, deck out the tuba, and, and you know, it, it got a good laugh out of people. I think they enjoyed it and, and made it even, you know, more of a, a funny sight to see. Really yeah. awesome. Well, you know, it wasn't really just the lights that made that funny i mean the the best part of it was you were playing all the music and from memory by the way you played a movement of a concerto uh, on your concert tuba and then the grinch as well all from memory but you really you really kind of hammed it up i mean you were like dancing around the stage <laughs> with the sousaphone and the lights and it was it was very very entertaining oh yeah you, you gotta cheese it up a little bit you know that's that's what that's what tuba players are great at doing so for sure had to make it fun well, I, I would love it if you talked just a little bit more about how the tuba actually works to play it. Because we had, of course, our principal horn, Albert Suarez, on uh, a few episodes ago, and we talked a little bit about the horn. And, of course, there are a lot of, a lot of similarities in the basics for the tuba. But talk a little bit about that. You know, we got into, with the horn, how complicated it is. Because, you know, there's only a few valves and there's empty partials that you can, you know, play on each valve. And it becomes... A real mental exercise so how how is the tuba like that as well tuba is very similar to horn uh in just you know the fact that it's a brass instrument and built with partials so basically what that means is i can play several uh, different notes with the same fingering um so you know you have to not only align uh, the fingers up with what you're playing but also uh, the speed and the frequency of your air and your buzz uh, so you buzz into the mouthpiece, that creates the sound, you press down the buttons to make different notes, and then depending on how fast your buzz is, uh, that will kind of translate to different notes. Uh, the the uh, more air and the, the higher speed of your buzz, the higher notes you're going to be able to play, and then vice versa when you're going low. Um, so yeah, tuba is um, a little bit different in the fact, um, you know, a lot of the other brass instruments will rely on the shape of their embouchure and, and their uh, their mouth to change the pitch of notes. Um, but we're a little bit lazier in the fact that we have our left hand situated on a whole mess of slides that we pull while we play each, you know, a different note, a different fingering will pull slides out to make sure we're in tune and and it just makes it a little bit easier. You don't have to sh change the shape of your embouchure. You're just simply pulling a slide out or pushing a slide in to change the, you know, to fine tune the pitch of the instrument. Um, but yeah, tubas have uh, anywhere 
from three to I've seen six valve tubes, uh, which is pretty impressive. Um, but uh, very similar to other brass instruments in the in the way that it, that it works. So. All right, Joe. So as often happens on our show, it falls to me to ask you the two most important questions here at Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. And the first one has nothing specifically to do with the tuba, but in a way it has everything to do with the tuba and with making music. <laughs> and that question, of course, is what is your favorite drink? Yes, that has everything to do with the tuba, Mike. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would have to say... Um, I am a big beer drinker, love beer, and my favorite beer is from Bell's uh, back home in my hometown of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Ah, They make a a beer called, um, uh, what is it called now? Two-Hearted Ale? It's not the Two-Hearted Ale. Um, That's a good one. Oberon? I just had it. Uh, No, it's not Oberon. Oh, my God. I'm running out of all the Bell's beers that I like. It must have been good if you can't remember it. <laughs> I, I have to say it's it's oh my gosh what's the name of it um i you know they bells just has so many good beers i can't you know i can't choose just one i always have to pick a couple but nice. yeah two hearted is definitely a good one hop slam is another great one. Oh yeah sure. uh, they make one called hop solution which is very good too and hop oberon's solution. a classic you know can't yeah. go wrong with that either but especially uh, in the summer yeah. yes yes Awesome. So while uh, drinking a Hop Slam or a Two Hearted or any of those other delicious products from our friends at Bell's, what what would you ask Beethoven if you could ask him a question? Well, of course, the tuba wasn't invented when he was around. So, um, yeah, I guess I would ask him, you know, if, if he had known that the tuba existed or if, you know, if he was here today in 2020, how would he write for the tuba? Yeah, that's what I want to know, and or or would he even use it? I have a feeling he would, but uh, I'd be I'd be curious to know what he'd do with it. Hmm. I think Great he'd question. definitely use it. Yeah, honestly. for sure. It, uh, Beethoven nine needs some tuba, and actually, yes. I heard a version of Beethoven seven not too long ago with a tuba, and it it huh. added something for sure. Nice. So yeah, we should <laughs> we should think about that. <laughs> well, we've developed a recurring segment on this show uh, for all of our KCS musician guests where we go through a series of rapid fire questions to see who comes out on top. Jason will ask the questions and the three of us, myself, Stephanie, and Joe, will each have 30 seconds to answer. That's right. This is our new game that we started uh, just a few episodes ago. It's called Bar Talk and that's B-A-R-T-A-L-K, not to be confused with the Hungarian composer, Bela Bartok. <laughs> you know, um, you, you said that out loud, because I've been reading it on the sheet all week, is Bartok, <laughs> and then I just uh, realized when you said it out loud that it, yeah. yes. So. See how clever we are here Very at Beethoven Walks Into a Bar? That was uh, Mike's na- uh, idea, by the way, for like the name of this game. <laughs> Mike, Mike is the clever one. Yes. Uh, but it is called Bartok, and as Mike said, I am going to give you 30 seconds each to answer these four questions. And Mike, I'll remind you that 30 seconds is not three minutes, like your description wow. of why the tuba is the best instrument. As a matter of fact, if you go over 30 seconds, I'm going to start subtracting points. Wow. Uh, Tim, our audio engineer, is going to keep track of the score. If I like your answer, you're going to hear a bell, which sounds like yep. that. And if I don't like your answer at any point, you're going to hear a horn, which sounds like that. And by the way, that is a dominant and tonic, I just realized. And that's uh, something that Joe is really familiar with in the tuba world. Dominant and tonic. He plays a lot of those. Oh, exactly. All right, here we go. 
This is the very first question, and for this first question, we're going to start with Joe. You're going to be the first to answer it, and that is, what is the best tuba part in the entire orchestral repertoire? What's the best tuba part? Oh, there's so many good ones. I'd have to, <clears throat> I'd have to probably say Fountains of Rome by Respighi. Uh, really nice tuba part. Uh, Ride of the Valkyries is another staple. Uh, of course, the one that everybody recognizes and knows. Well, hold um, on. He said one. Oh, I, I'm only sorry. Sorry. Okay, that's so why let me, I just subtracted two points. Do I still one, have time? The so, best. so fountains is super athletic. It, we actually get to play the melody, and it's it's loud, which is of course is always exciting. So, uh, okay, you re- you redeemed yourself a little bit there. At <laughs> All the right, end. good. <laughs> All right, next is Mike. Mike, what is the best, the singular best tuba part in the orchestral repertoire? I'm gonna say it's got to be the uh, Ravel orchestration of Mussorgsky's pictures Ooh. at an exhibition and I yield the remainder of my time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow. You get an extra bell for us saving us 10 seconds. Good job. Thank you, Mike. And finally, last but certainly not least, Stephanie, what is the best tuba part in the entire orchestral repertoire? So the reason I got so heated with Joe about naming two is because, of course, it's Ride of the Valkyries. (laughs) It's what Ah. everybody knows. And it's just you want to sing along with Kill the Wabbit, right? (laughs) It's just it's it's just what it's the best. All right. right. Can't argue with that. (laughs) Next question. As you know, in order to play the tuba, you have to be able to buzz your lips. Your embouchure has to be nice and loose, and you need to create a buzz. That's This is with all brass instruments. But for the tuba buzz, I should know because I had to play at that band camp, it has to be a pretty relaxed buzz. We're going to see who has the best tuba buzz. And Mike, oh, no. we're going to start with you for this one. Let's hear your tuba <laughs> buzz. Those two sounds are quite similar. That should let you know how you did. Oh, no. If you don't think that was good, I'm in trouble. All right. Here we go. Stephanie, you're up. Let's hear your tuba buzz. I'm going for a pedal tone. Are you ready? Okay. Wasn't bad. Not bad. (laughs) This could be our final episode, by the way. wasn't good. (laughs) No. All right. Pressure's on, Joe. I, I know you've created tuba buzzes your entire career, but... This is the big defining moment of your career. It is, yeah. Beyond a doubt. So let's hear your best tuba buzz. Oh, wait, that's the wrong wrong sound. Sorry. Wait, so don't count that horn. (laughs) I pushed the wrong button. We got to give Joe a lot of points for that one. That was excellent. All right, moving on. (laughs) Clearly. This is a very important question since we have several people on the show that have spent some time in the great state of Michigan. Here we go. Oh. What is the better university in the great state of Michigan? The University of Michigan or Michigan State? We're going to start with Stephanie with this one. What's the better university? <laughs> Stephanie. There's no question. It's U of M, man. Ann Arbor. Wolverines. Go blue all the way. I yield the rest of my time. <laughs> I only have one thing to say to that. O-H. Oh, no. (laughs) All right, moving on. Next we have uh, Joe, who is not biased at all whatsoever. Joe, what is the better university, University of Michigan or Michigan State? I think it's 100% clearly, in my honest, humble opinion, Michigan State University. (laughs) Uh, We have an awesome mascot, great sports teams, 
we have a live mascot, unlike U of M, you know, Sparty. Uh, you know, go green, go white. You Your live mascot is a dude with a foam head on it. Like, do hey. you put a Wolverine out there and he will tear him up. I don't know. Sparty, you know, Sparty's a Spartan. <laughs> Think about that. We're, you know, Spartans are pretty tough. So I got to side right. with Michigan State here, Jason. Joe, where did you go to undergrad? Uh, this school in Michigan called uh, Michigan State University. <clears throat> oh, uh, no relation at all, but... Interesting. I wouldn't think that based on your answer. Okay, where did I go? last but not where, least. Where did I go to undergrad? Why didn't you ask me that? Oh, Stephanie, sorry. Where did you go to undergrad? Well, clearly the University of Michigan and Ann Arbor go blue. O-H-I-O. Okay, and last but not least, Mike. Mike? Michigan State or University of Michigan? Michael? Well, uh, I am of the firm belief that all mascots ultimately are foam on the inside. <laughs> and... <laughs> I think both schools are just wonderful, and I've never been to either one of them, but I look forward to my visits to both and watching all the sports ball. That's lame. <laughs> all right, all right. Was, he redeemed himself there at the end. Okay, final question. What animal best describes the tuba? Mike, what animal best describes the tuba? Go ahead. Gotta be hippopotamus. There is no other answer. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> all right all right and uh how about joe what do you think what animal best describes your instrument the tuba? oh you know that's tough because a lot of composers has, have written the tuba as like a bear mm -hmm. or or like a, a dog and, you know a, a big dog and and just you know lots of different uh animals i gotta go with a bear though you know it's it's a big big instrument uh we can be aggressive at times but mostly we're pretty chill and you know bears are pretty pretty big and we have a big instrument we play low so and stravinsky represented a bear once yes Petrushka yeah. with with the tuba so that that's, a, that's a great answer i didn't even think about that all right and stephanie last but not least this is your chance to earn a lot of points you haven't won yet have you no have i you have thank you for yet? pointing that out okay, no i well, have let's not let's go this is your chance well okay uh, i kind of went the route of mike um, but not a hippo, a rhino. I'm thinking a rhino because they're like tough on the outside, but like, and they're really big, but they're like soft and warm and lovable on the inside. Ooh, nice, right? I like that. I like that. And they are, a and they horned... have a horn. Yes, ah, yes, they yes. Have a horn. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's just, good. That's really good. I just figured that out. <laughs> I helped you a little bit too. I think. All right, I think that's the end of the game. We're going to see how we did in points. Uh, Tim's adding up the scores right now. We had a lot of bells and horns, so he had, a, he had his work cut out for him this time. He's adding up. He's multiplying. He's using algebra, geometry. Okay, in third place, pull it back just a little bit so I can see. There we go. In third place with two points, <laughs> Mr. Mike Gordon. All right, and second place. Still without a victory on no! Bartok. Stephanie oh, Brimall no. with eight points. I'm in second place all the time. Well, <laughs> at least you're not in last. Oh, that's and true. finally, our winner today of Bartok, our wonderful guest, Mr. Joe Lefevre with 11 points. Well congratulations, yeah. Joe. Nice. Well done, thank Joe. You. Good job. As a way uh, of thanking you and congratulating you for winning today's game, you get to give us your recommended listening and talk about some recommended listening you have for our listeners this week. For for me, for Mike and Stephanie, we will also put the links to our recommended listening uh, in our information, so you can check that out in the links uh, for today's episode. But Joe, what recommended listening do you have for this Man, week? Man, 
Well, there's a lot out there, and I'm I'm gonna keep it a little brief so I can fit a few of these in here. There's That's a good idea. Uh, so there is a a wonderful CD by one of my teachers, Gene Picorni, in the Chicago Symphony, mm. which is all tuba excerpts. So if you're a real tuba nerd and you want to learn about tuba excerpts or just hear what we do in the orchestra by ourselves, listen to this CD. It's awesome. the reason that I wanted to play in an orchestra. Um, so super awesome CD. Um, there's a, a recording of Mahler II by the Chicago Symphony that they did in 2009, I think, which is just stellar, uh, outstanding, really enjoy that recording. Um, and I think, uh, I can't remember the conductor on that, um, but outstanding recording. Um, the conductor and, doesn't matter. Who's the tuba player on it? Uh, that's, that's, that would be Gene again. So, that's what I thought. Uh, okay. So, yeah. And then um, uh, also there's a, a solo CD by a Norwegian tuba player named Oystein Bodsvik, who is probably one of the most well-known tuba players uh, in, in terms of solo playing. And uh, he has a CD that includes the... Um, the John Williams Concerto, the Vaughn Williams Concerto, and a lot of other tuba concertos that are pretty much the uh, you know standard repertoire um, for for tuba solos. So if you really want to listen to some outstanding tuba playing, I would point you in, in any of those three directions. Nice. That sounds nice. awesome. Joe, thank you so much for being our guest today. It's been awesome talking with you and getting to see you and uh, hear all about the two bus. And I can't wait to check out those recommendations. Thanks yeah. so much for being here. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Joe. Really enjoyed it. It was great to see all you guys. Thanks, man. Can't wait to see you in person again. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Next time on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar, it's all about flutes and food. We go for another round of bar talk with our associate principal flute, Shannon Finney. She's gathered up quite a following for her weekly porch concerts in front of her home in Waldo. We'll also learn about her passion for cooking and what it's like to sit next to Mike for 13 long years. <laughs> All of this and more next time on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar.